ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We are back for round two of dub action. It was an excellent round of dub, plenty to talk about, so we can't wait to crack into all of it. Before we begin, though, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today's dub extravaganza, you've got me, Marissa Lordanik, Angela Christian Wilkes, Anna Harrington, and Sam Lewis. So, Let's begin, friendos, as we usually do, with some you love to see it. So, Angela, would you like to start? What did you love to see from this weekend? I love to see Susan Ponsonkamp get her second goal of the season thus far as round two for Perth Glory. And it was uh, very, very similar, actually, to the one that she scored against Western United last week. So, um, Perth won one nil over... I've forgotten the opposition team. That's really bad. Doesn't matter, does it? The Jets. The Jets. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, yeah, Melina Ayers was there. She was doing things. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's probably a good summary of the game, actually. It's like, yeah, Ayers was, she was there. Yeah. Duh. Anyway, Perth, Perth are actually looking really good. But, yeah, um, Susan Fonson came as um, already showing really great signs this season. And the goal, Farrow, again, assisted it kind of like just was scurrying through the 18 yard box. She was like, you can't catch me. And did a little layoff of Fonsenkamp to put her laces through it and send it to the bottom left of the goal. And just like such power on the shot, such a great finish, really fun goal. Um, And yeah, very similar, like I said, to the one last week. So hopefully we can keep seeing good things from her. Uh, She's been at Perth for quite a while now. And um, I think it's always been in and around it, but I think we were talking about this in the season preview. When are we going to, see the results from Perth and I mean it's very early on but two wins from two it's good it's looking good and also two times on the broadcast they've panned to a man who is not coach Alex Aparkas and said this is Alex Aparkas yeah so yesterday I don't know was the media manager I believe it was media <laughs> manager Gareth I think got the uh the front and center treatment yesterday so um, but I mean hopefully they're letting him know about it maybe it's a, maybe it's like a a lucky thing like, if they keep doing that, they'll keep winning. As soon as they identify the real Alex Aparkas, it could all go downhill. But, yeah, Susan Fonsonkamp's goal, goals, you love to see it. All these men just look the same. Can't tell them apart. But, um, Sam, what did you love to see from this weekend? Uh, I love to see the Central Coast Mariners getting their first win of the season, 2-1 over Adelaide United. Congratulations. Um, goals to Taron King and to the Chinese international uh, Rig Yamula, who I learned is actually from Mongolia, which is a really interesting story. Um, and they were really good for the win as well. They, they dominated Adelaide in a lot of ways. Um, more shots, more shots on target, more corners, uh, almost more possession. Yeah, that, I think they they really um, stood up for themselves and and gave a good account of themselves as well. So, yeah, it's just it's great to see. You know, it's 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 always really fun to have a new team coming into this competition and um, and throwing down the gauntlet uh, because it it shakes things up. You know, we don't want to have the same season over and over again. And I mm. think this is probably the best. Those these opening two rounds have probably been been the best example of that. Like we've seen a couple of upsets um and that's great because we've got a bunch of new fans who've come to this league this season right and so you want them to be excited about lots of different things um and the central coast i think coming and doing this is is a really good example of that as well so love to see it just the 14 years between drinks as well sam that's right better late than never (laughs) better late than never 
Absolutely. We do love to see new teams or reintroduced teams winning. But Harry, what did you love to see from the weekend? Apologies to Sam, because I think I did manage to dibs first just by speaking first with this one. Um, but Chelsea Blissett's uh, match winner for Brisbane Roar against Sydney FC. Um, great goal. Um, young player who has dealt with dealt with being behind some really good players at Melbourne City in the past, went to Brisbane in the off-season. Um, and then against uh, the reigning champions, lovely little moves, picks up the ball in midfield, bursts forward, plays a, a one-two with Mia Corbin, and then this lovely uh, little looping finish over Jada Wyman. And the best bit was the celebration. I think it was her first A-League women goal. Because when players like score their first goal, a lot of them, they just don't know what to do. So her hands are just going mental. She's like <laughs> yelling and screaming at everyone. She's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And everyone around her, I think, is doing exactly the same thing. Um, and it was just like pure, unadulterated joy. Um, and I think it's moments like that that take you back to um, what's so special um, about football and, and about this league and what it really does mean. So with everything that Chelsea, Chelsea Blues has been through, and Sam, I know you've spoken to her for, for stories in the past as well. Mm. Um, uh, it's great to see her take the gamble, go north to Brisbane, and it pay off. And, uh, yeah, they're flying high. So, yeah, Chelsea Blissett's moment in the sun. Love to see it. We absolutely do love to see it. And uh, that goal got the mum Lordanic uh, seal of approval. We were watching that and she went, oh, that's a nice goal. So um, that's what all the <laughs> players are obviously going for, approval from my mum. Really quickly from me, Macy Fraser's goal, which was the second goal in Wellington's 3-0 win over the Wanderers, was mm. magnifique, stunning long-range finish. Absolutely love to see it. Um, and I just need to shoehorn it in. You might not love to see it. You might actually hate to see it. But it is nonetheless very impressive. Talia Yunus became the youngest ever player to debut in an A-League women's game at 14 years oh of God. age. She becomes the first player to debut or be born and play in the dub after the actual dub had started. So being born in 2008, she was born after the W League actually started. So hope you're all feeling old whenever you're listening to this, but it's an awesome achievement from Talia. So we absolutely love to see it. But Shall we crack into some actual match chat? We had some really interesting results this round. So just quickly running through the results. We had the Mariners obviously getting their first win in 14 years. They defeated the Reds 2-1. Melbourne City defeated Canberra 2-1. Brisbane were 1-0 winners over Sydney. Western United got the chocolates over Melbourne victory with a 2-1 win. Perth, as we said, with that Susan Fonson cam goal, won 1-0 over Newcastle. And Wellington were 3-0 winners over the Wanderers. But... We're going to start with Melbourne City's win over Canberra, the 2-1 result, because the three of you were all in attendance at that game. Good win from City, I think it's fair to say. Are they kind of building very, like, again, I've got to preface basically everything this episode with, it's only round two. But mm. are City kind of showing what we expected from them? Are they really kind of stamping their title creden- credentials on the league? this early on in the season? Yes and no, I think. Like, they're so dominant in possession and we knew they were going to be that. They've got quality across every line. I think getting Rebecca Stott back was really important. We know what their attack can do. Rihanna Polisane sort of picked up where she left left off last season and looks so dangerous. The one uh, thing, question mark, over them that 
haunted them at times last season that they really have to get right this season. And you see in glimpses, it's just the conversion, like their efficiency. They have so much of the ball. They have so many attacking weapons. Yeah. Um, Sam was saying pre-pod how many touches they had in in the attacking 18-yard box compared to Canberra. But, geez, they can mess about with it sometimes and, geez, they can lack some efficiency. If they can find that cutting edge, I think they're going to be very, very hard to stop. I know I predicted them for, for champions this year. But, you know, and some of our, our favourites on the potter can be the, the culprits here, a Holly McNamara, Rihanna Policino, missing chances that – or you know, just not quite having that clinical edge. You'd have to have the faith that it is going to come good in that sense. But what they do really do, and they've done it in both their games so far, is by not putting teams away, they really open themselves up to get caught mm. out. And because they've got a lot of young players, like you can sort of try and put a bit of pressure back on them. And Canberra pretty blatantly at the end of that game were like, we're going to put Nikki Flannery up top and we are absolutely going to prepare to launch long balls and see if we can catch them on the hop. And the Canberra goal came from a, a goalkeeper mix up with um with Rebecca Stott as well. So if they can start really putting teams to the sword and putting them away, they're going to be really, really fearsome. Um, but th- I think that's the one thing that they need to get right, Sam. Yeah, and they, look, they need to do it earlier as well. I think the thing about the, the yeah. game on the weekend was Canberra actually had some really good opportunities in the first 10 minutes because City were looking a little bit sleepy. Um, and had Canberra's conversion rate been a bit better, they probably could have been one or two goals up by the time City were kind of like, oh, crap, okay, we actually have to play football. Um, but, you know, the, the I think the thing about City is that they um, they know how to go up a couple gears over the course of a game. And as some of their sort of key players start to find their feet a bit more and, and find pockets of space and, and find their opportunities, City, I think, have more class across the board of their starting 11 that we've seen so far than probably most other teams. Um, I really love the signing of Laura Hughes, particularly in this game. Uh, It really was the Laura Hughes derby, wasn't it, coming up against her old team in Canberra United. I thought she was excellent. Um, She's exactly the kind of player that they needed to to slot into that defensive midfield role um, because it really frees up Policina and and Letitia McKenna as well, who's very creative but didn't really get a chance to show that last year. Uh, in order to go a little bit further forward. And you're right, Harry, Rebecca Stott was she's so important to this team. She was really, really good um, shutting Michelle Heyman down uh, on the weekend as well. And she has that wonderful ability that we love from a centre-back where she's not afraid to drive into midfield with the ball at her feet and ping some passes around, you know, but she's got the intelligence and she's got the physicality to be able to cover her tracks just in case anything goes wrong. Um, yeah, so I, I, I really liked what I saw from Melbourne City. I think... The only big question mark for me um, is Hannah Wilkinson, to be honest. You know, there were a number of opportunities where, you know, you're an international striker. You've just come off the back of a World Cup. You really should be better than that. You know, you should be putting those chances away uh, in every moment. And it just seems like she hasn't quite got that. I mean, I don't know. I I feel like Hannah Wilkinson is is maybe not the striker I would have gone with if if I was a recruitment person at Melbourne City I would have maybe gone for someone a bit younger um someone a little bit more proven even uh, yeah I don't know so to be curious to see how um that kind of dynamic of their front three slash five looks going forward and whether a number of other players are going to have to step up in terms of goal scoring because Wilkinson's not actually as um as efficient as they needed to be yeah I agree that's going to be an interesting watch Sam because I think one thing they would have looked at is um two years ago or two seasons ago when you had 
McNamara sort of really break through. Her and Wilkinson were a really dynamic combination. Yeah. It was a combination of um, it was a combination of uh, McNamara teeing up goals for Wilkinson, but also Wilkinson's uh, lead up play and build up play helping McNamara. You know, sort of the quick quick flick on and off she went. But I think what was really missing more so than the finishing um, this on the weekend from Wilkinson was <clears throat> was that hold up lead up play for a striker, mm. like the little turn and go, the little touch, and there was a few loose ones. Um, you'd hope for their sake she builds into the season. Otherwise, I think they will have to look at restructuring. We saw at the start of last season where they had a lot of um, success. This is when they had Cote Rojas, but they also have, more so had Amina Ekic, who was really, really mm-hmm. valuable as that wide player. And I wonder if at some point um, they're missing Leah Davidson at the moment with that knee injury, and I think she'll be back after the international break. <clears throat> she adds a lot. I, I agree that bringing Laura Hughes for Briley Henry was a good change to make. It gave them some stability. It stopped them being cut up so easily through the middle. Davidson's another player that was really important in terms of that tempo last year. Anyway, I digress. But the point is that I think there will be room at some point to do we see Paulusina play more as a, a pure striker? Do you shift McNamara and do you play um, Daniela Galich more as a, a number 10? She was playing on the, on the right wing and really impressed, actually, to be honest, on the weekend in what is not maybe as much of her natural position. But I think they have the the tools there in terms of the players that they can have quite a flexible attack. Henry's another one of those players that they can sort of shuffle things and maybe that more mobile attack will be the way forward. Um, but, Jesus, it'd be a nice position to be in to be like, and if we want to, we can bench Hannah Wilkinson because we can bring these players in and we can. Maybe throw yeah. Holly McNamara into a more central role, or we can bring Daniela Gallage more central. Like, there's a lot. We simply have too many toys. good players. We too just have too many. To play with How do we fit them in? <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's good in that sense. They they've got options, um, but I think it will be good to see how they handle it when Davidson comes in because I think Hughes, as you said, Sam was really good. So have a couple mm. of those really stabilising, mature midfielders that can um, that can set the tempo of a game will be really big. But yeah, I, I really like. I really like City, and if they can pace it together, I think that'd be pretty hard to stop. Angela, I have a question for you from one of our Twitter followers, Holly, because you are our resident Canberra Nuffy. Um, she asked, are Milivojevic and Heyman going to be enough to make up for Canberra's Swiss cheese defence and midfield in the long run? Um, loved the Swiss cheese defence uh, descriptor, but is it going to be enough? Because obviously Heyman and Milivojevic, phenomenal players, but are they enough to kind of compensate for everything else? Wow, Holly's not here to fuck spiders. <laughs> um, I think they've got. There are. Uh, uh, like, I feel like if this is the thing, Nikki Flannery, once she hits her stride, she's good. Um, I still think she's struggling a little bit and they're lacking. Yeah, like there were some patches of play in that game where Canberra were able to connect passes and find like nice through balls and it was kind of working and then it just yeah it fell off it was like they could, if they could get it towards the end like towards the final third things were okay but that lack of um experience in defense and not it didn't seem like a very clear game plan in how they wanted to progress the ball from defense further up the field as well um maybe again that comes back to there is a plan it's just not being implemented very well but um yeah it's interesting, but you can, you can, you know, Nikki Flannery, Cote Rojas is a, another interesting one in terms of what they're actually looking to get out of her in this mm. camera side, because you could see they, they shifted Milivojevic a little bit 
deeper. Like they kind of swapped her and Rojas, I think about halfway through the first half. And Rojas has a lot of energy, but again, it seemed like being able to get the ball and hold on to it and then do something meaningful moving forward. Canberra just weren't able to do that with that particular forward combination. So I think I I can't really see where they're what the intentions are at the moment. Um, maybe there's still like a f- few tweaks and again, like the longer season that might be, you know, a team like Canberra might stand to benefit from figuring those things out. But at the moment, I don't think like Milivojevic and Heyman work together so well that I don't think it's great to have her sitting further back. Um, and in terms of like bench power, that's another whole question. It's like I feel like if Heyman, for example, was to miss some games for whatever reason, touch wood that she won't, like that, that Canberra will be quite exposed. So I think I do agree with Holly to an extent. I think there's, uh, there's other great players in Canberra's side. We'll see. But, um, yes, uh, did astutely point to some uh, – overarching issues that could you know like you what's you 4-4 four, four last week you can score goals but you can also concede goals as well so that doesn't really help you in the long run Sam yeah the Kote Royas question is the is the big one for me how do you fit her and Milivojevic into the same starting 11 when they do kind of the same job um Rojas was the one the player for me that really stood out as not fitting into what Canberra were trying to do Agreed, um, Sam. And you could see as the game went on that the players around her were getting quite frustrated as well, that things weren't clicking, particularly Nikki Flannery. There are a couple of moments where you, like she doesn't have a great poker face, Nikki Flannery, and every time Rojas did a poor touch or a poor pass, she would just sort of like roll her eyes or look up in the air. Like it, it wasn't good vibes. Um, but you're right, Angela, like Heyman and, and Milivojevic combined so well last season. Why would you separate them now why would you add a player into the middle of that dynamic and that but kind of ruins it as well um I don't really know how that works that midfield doesn't make sense to me I would be playing Milivojevic much further up the field where Rojas was playing in the second half as that number 10 because she is so creative and when she got on the ball against City she was the one who was doing stuff she was the one who was breaking through lines with the ball created the goal exactly forward that bit of instinct just that's right I reckon Michelle can cause some damage. Yep. She's got great ball control. She's got a great burst of pace. She's able to keep keep possession under pressure. Like she's a really, really good little player. Um, You'd want to be able to maximise that. And it just really didn't feel like uh, the combination of players that was used on the weekend enabled that. Um, and I, another observation I made was that, you know, with the with the loss of Grace Ma and, and Laura Hughes, two of Canberra's sort of stalwart defensive midfielders, Poor little Emma Ilioski has had to be the number six, the smallest player, I think, outside of maybe a player from Wellington in the league uh, who has been shunted to basically and asked to, to effectively do all the defensive running from uh, in a midfield position. She did really well, i got to say, considering, you know, she has played there at MPL level, but considering she's not really used to it at this level, she's usually played as a left back, thought she did pretty well. Um, but I think that uh, like back to the question defensively, I think Canberra really needs to figure out what to do with this. Cause it does kind of feel like they, they're just reacting to things and, and trying to come up with a plan, trying to lay down the train tracks as, as they're on the train. You know what I mean? Like they haven't quite 
figured out actually what what the plan is in terms of a lot of this stuff. Um, so yeah, as you said, hopefully the longer season means that they've got more opportunity to to find those answers a little bit further along. And just quickly on Canberra, that goal from Michelle Heyman was her 96th in the W League slash A League women. So the hashtag Heyman Hundo Watch is alive and well, friends. Um, I assume she will be breaking the hundo very, very soon. But let's move on to one of the other games from this round. And I'm going to kick it off with another question from uh, a friend of the pod, a listener, Dave, who asked, Brisbane have knocked off two title favourites in consecutive weeks to start the season. Obviously, they beat Victory last round. They beat Sydney 1-0 this weekend in front of a record crowd at Ballymore, which was fantastic. But basically, Dave's asking, are Brisbane the real deal or have they just been the better side on day, catching good teams out on bad days? So how are we feeling about Brisbane Raw in these very early stages of the season? I think the latter at this stage. I, I don't like to, after two rounds, go in and go, you yeah. had two wins. So, you, so you're um, all of a sudden in the mix of the favourites or... Um, or in, say, a victory's case, your, your season's done. The benefit of a longer season means that we don't need to sort of have really flippant reactions. That said, they, they've certainly exceeded expectations. I would have looked at those first two rounds and gone, yeah, that's probably going to be zero points, maybe one. Like if you got one to two, if you can grab a draw at home against Sydney, like I would have been like, yeah, you know, maybe that can happen. I wouldn't have picked a win and a win. Um, and credit to them, they've, they've been real... Um, well, certainly the one against Victor is real smash and grab areas, like create the chances, pounce on some on some weaknesses and make it happen. And to be honest, yeah, I think Sydney fairly peppered them with shots as well, but they've got away with it. They've had, um, I think, Sean Fry has been the real um, revelation, bursting down that left-hand side, really exciting. Um, I think the good news is that um, Tamiki Allop has only just gotten started. She played half on the weekend. Um, and I think bringing in Jenna McCormick to lead that defence has been a, a really shrewd acquisition um, because I guess the way you put it is you always know what you're going to get. And I think that was the sort of the baseline that Brisbane needed, just players that you know. And I think a Holly Palmer fits into this category as well. They've got a few there where you go. And normally they have Aisha Nori as well. I think that's really impressive that they've got these two wins without her. Um, just players that you always know what you're going to get. They're always going to be reliable. They'll turn up. They'll put the work in. And that's going to get you some good results here and there. I think it's too early to say they're amongst the contenders, but they've put themselves in a really good position to contend for finals. And they had some good moments last season as well. They've added some good quality. Yeah, I think it's too early to say real deal, but I have been impressed with what they've done. Yeah, and I think, you know, if we're we're assessing Brisbane based on their performance on the weekend, I think there are some things that we need to take into consideration. Number one is that Sydney were not good. Um, and they have lost maybe one of the best centre-backs in the league in Nat Tobin, who's confirmed to have done her ACL. So she's out for the season, um, which is awful. We send all of our thoughts and and prayers to her that um, she's able to recover well, meaning that there's had to be some reshuffling around. You've got a Kirsty Fenton, who's usually left back and was so good in the Sydney derby in that position, having to come back into centre-back and join Charlotte McLean. Um, there wasn't a Fiona Wirtz um, for, for for Sydney in the same way that there was in the in the uh, in the derby either, and uh, the Brisbane goalkeeper Silkowitz had a blinder as well. She had a number of really really good saves um, that 
uh, you know, traditionally had uh, Brisbane had another goalkeeper from the past couple of seasons, maybe wouldn't have been as um, as as good in that in that position. So, yeah, I mean, I'm like, I'm, but I love that I love that Brisbane have done this. Like, I, this is because you only have to you play the game in front of you, right? Like, we can talk about all this stuff, but at the same time, they've just won and Sydney have lost, and now the table is looking very different to what we all kind of expected. I think at this point of the season, so. It's great. Yeah. Again, we've got new people coming to this, coming to this league and, and coming to these clubs and they're, they're wanting something exciting. And I think Brisbane have absolutely offered that and, and full credit to all the folks up in Brisbane who turned out for that game. I think it was a club record attendance at Ballymore over three and a half thousand people. I think it was, um, which was, I'm pretty sure equivalent to, if not more than the highest attended AFLW game over the, uh, the most recent round as well. So you know, keep doing your thing. It's it's great to see and it's great to hear and it's it's good vibes on the telly. So good job. It is good vibes on the telly. Always got to give a shout out to the Raw Corps who make excellent noise whenever there is a Brisbane home game. Shall we move on to, we'll quickly touch on this game because uh, it was Western Sydney nil, Wellington 3. Really good performance from Wellington. Really not good performance for the, from the Wanderers. And we had a couple of questions um, over on Twitter basically just saying, what's happening with Western Sydney? A couple of new people who haven't necessarily watched the dub before are kind of like, I thought Western Sydney were a good club. Why is their women's team not really doing? A couple of people were asking, you know, uh, how long is Robbie Hooker staying around? Because, you know, haven't really shown much in two weeks and we obviously know that he only got appointed about 10 days out from the start of the season. So um, can any, does anyone want to attempt to explain Western Sydney Wanderers to new listeners and also just old listeners wondering what what is going on? <laughs> um, My God, that's Sam Lewis's music. Um, I don't know why you're John Cena, but you are. Um, <laughs> go on to explain the Western Sydney Wanderers short version. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> explain the Western Sydney Wanderers. Um, so for new listeners, uh, Western Sydney Wanderers, they came into the league uh, as an expansion franchise um, back in 2012, 13. So the, the, the team has been around for a long time, the women's team. Um but over the course of all of that time, they've really only had one good season. Uh, that was in uh, 20, what was it, 18, 19, I think it was, where we had a really good combo of players, Kyra Cootie-Cross, Lynn Williams for the, from the USA, Denise O'Sullivan, Amy Harrison, who's still there, who's captaining the side now. Um, they just, they found the secret sauce and they got all the way to finals for the first time, which was great. Um but the problem with the Wanderers is that structurally and in terms of the investment and the um, the priorities behind the scenes at the club, the women's team really is is pretty low down uh, that ladder, unfortunately. Um, they don't really seem to invest very heavily um, in their program um, and you can kind of sense that based on the kinds of signings that they make and that's no offence to any of the players, but you know, you look across the league and you see some of the big names that some of these clubs are bringing in pretty consistently. And you're like, well, I thought the Wanderers had quite a lot of money. They've got a really great bespoke training base out in Rudy Hill. They've got one of the biggest catchments in terms of players that they can draw upon out in Western Sydney. Why, why, 
why did it, does their squad look like this and why do they continue to play football that's pretty underwhelming so it's it's a big combination of things right like a club is an ecosystem um, it's about it's about um, player recruitment it's about training it's about coaching it's about lots of things that happen behind the scenes where it just seems like all of those things are a little bit subpar and it's I think more um, pronounced at the Wanderers simply based on how much money and investment they've made across the whole club and the vast majority of that seems to have gone to their men's side and the vast majority of that seems to have also gone to their men's uh, academy and not their women's and so they've been able to produce really great male players through their pathways but the same hasn't been um, available for women so we're sort of seeing this consistent um this consistent yeah like just just lack lack of everything and i think for a lot of um long time wanderers fans it's it's getting extremely frustrating um because they have the potential to be so much better than this but they're just not and i think the the sacking or, or the the departure let's say of uh cat smith the former head coach on the eve of the season 10 days out and the appointment of robbie hooker who was someone who um as we discussed in our preview episode wasn't familiar really with the A-League women's, hadn't really watched very much of it. And his most recent co- coaching experience was coaching his sons in the under 12s. Um, that's probably a, a, like a, if you need just one example as to the basket case that is the Western Sydney Wanderers uh, in terms of their women's program, that's probably the best one and the most recent one. So yeah, it's really unfortunate, but I don't, you know, the players are the ones ultimately who suffer for this because they're shunted into these positions and asked to perform uh, in circumstances that, it, at a better run club, you know, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have to have to suffer. And, you know, it's very telling that it's only really when good players leave the Wanderers that their careers start to take off. I'm thinking of someone like Kara Cooney Cross or Courtney Vine. Um, yeah, that's so players it's, yeah, it's unfortunate. You just kind of get trapped in the whirlpool of the Wanderers and you really need to rip yourself out of the tide in, if you want to improve somewhere else. The whirlpool of the Wanderers. That's it. That's the explanation. But um, yeah. Also, random note that Millie Clegg <laughs> would have had to watch on from the stands because of not being eighteen yet. I think to do with her transfer technicalities, mm-hmm. she had to watch on yep. from the stands as her former team beat her new team. And See another just another another it. thing of just due diligence right so the reason why millie click isn't able to play is because she's an international player and if you're an international player you have to be 18 years of age in order to play in an international competition according to like fifa rules the wanderers should have known that when they signed her like i they just did did anyone check this like it's just bonkers and that's the reason why talia Eunice, the 14 year old like yeah it's great that there's a 14 year old playing football but she's 14 years old she shouldn't have to be like thrown into that position in the first place when you've got someone like millie clegg there who's been brought over specifically to play in this team you know and they probably spend a little bit of money trying to get her across as well because she's a new zealand international so it's like what are you doing come on be smarter I will go into bat for the Wanderers. Her birthday is literally November 1st. So they're like, we can play, what, half a month, couple of weeks without Millie Clegg, but it is a, it's, the optics are not great when you've got the 14-year-old, which apparently they needed to get an exemption to allow her to play because yeah, she was yep. 15-year-old. So young. But, um, yep. but, like, Millie Clegg's a young player who needs game time as well. Yeah. And, you know, we'll want to be pushing for the New Zealand national team and things like that. It's, Anyway, I'm sure, yeah, she'll be 
up and firing soon. But yeah, it would have been a pretty uh, brutal for her watching on. Jeez, the Knicks have impressed in these first two rounds. May I just briefly note, like in stark contrast to the Wanderers, um, we mentioned last week how impressive they were against Melbourne City. And what I loved was that they had to really fight their way through this game. Um, but then after the first goal, which Speckmeyer sort of bundled home that header, um, you mentioned in your love to see it the second goal, just being able to score in quick succession. I think Melbourne City would look at that and be like, why? Why not us? <laughs> like, I, I think that's really exciting. Um, we're playing good football. I think Paul Temple just de- deserves some credit for what he's doing with them so far. Um, hopefully they can continue it um, because I think they've been one of the, the real high points of this se- season so far. They absolutely have, and we hope it continues because good football is good football. But let's quickly move on to one of the final games of this round. It was Western United 2, Melbourne Victory 1. We just spoke about Brisbane, two wins to start the season. Are they the real deal? Angela, on the flip side, Victory, two losses. Are we panicking about Victory season just yet after two losses? Yes, I, I, I am. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> Friend of the pod, Tom, came in before the game yesterday and was like, "Nah, like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm quietly confident." Da, 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 da. Famous last words. Um, yeah, victory. It's it's not good to get nothing from these two games. And and to be fair, I feel like there was some they like in the game against Westerns yesterday. They had chances they were able to get near the goal they were able to create somewhat um a lot of that I think came off some good signings which like is it Wynert is that how you say her name um so far has proven to be quite I don't know she's got a lot of energy and is able to kind of cut in she what's I was talking to my friend about this though she does this like little maneuver where she'll like faint to the left and then like faint to the right and then like duck in and I'm like if I was a player I would fall for that every single time so I can't really blame Western United's defenders also falling for every single time but she has a little move that she does um maybe like a little bit shy on shooting and I feel like building on last week um Korea looked like a little bit more comfortable and the things seem to be clicking a little bit more um but it does seem to be in terms of like creativity in the midfield not a whole lot going on I still I think Alana Murphy is doing a lot for victory at the moment and I've been quite impressed with her work rate and just like um I guess her she's been very dependable but she's also been having to get like back a lot and um play more defensively and I don't know if that's where she's used best I suppose they have been hampered as well with like KK not been able to play like significant a significant amount of minutes so far but yeah I just it's it's not panics like I I the wheels haven't fallen off yet but I did have a moment yesterday where I was like oh my god are we bad again like I can't go back to this lifestyle like I can't (laughs) I can't do this um I think yeah what who are they playing I next week I have to double check Adelaide Adelaide at home so mm. so really really win. I think if they can't get a win next week then that's when uh I lose my mind but yeah it was and like the goal 
Weston's goal to equalize was was that the corner goal? Or is that the one? That, that was the Toronto to Toronto. Ah, Toronto squared. But the corner goal that Caroline Springs has its own ecosystem mm-hmm. and it is constantly windy there. And um, I think viewers at home noted as well that it seemed like the scaffolding that the camera was on was going to blow away at any given point. But it definitely <laughs> Of the conditions of the game as well because Western had the wind in the second half and so that that goal that saw them equalize was just a, like defied physics in a way like the ball hovered in the air at one point it seemed just to stand still but um also conceding off corners that seems to be like a bit of a trend at the moment for victory so there's obviously something to work on there um but yeah I don't know Harrow did you I think I think there's two factors one I think is the defense um obviously is shaky from set pieces Jeff Hopkins former defender has looked pretty filthy with those both times justifiably I think yesterday there's the element of the wind um which affected both teams like that Emma Checker goal like the wind clearly has played a role in that too but yeah I think there's a couple of things that they need to clean up one being the defense um the midfield, I feel like they're still getting right. Maybe when KK can play some more minutes, they'll get a bit more control and handle the tempo a bit better in there because it's not really clicking. I know there's new players come in. Rachel Lowe is one of those new players. Um, Paige Zoyce is, is still a young player as well. And there's just burying chances. They're, it is, as we talked about, it's very much a new-look team, so it's going to take time. Aquino looked more promising but was probably lucky not to get sent off for that kick-out that she did. Um, I think the ref just didn't see it. Um, so I think there's still work to be done there. I like when O'Grady comes on. I think she gives a lot of energy, gives a lot of spark. I wouldn't be surprised if um, they look to tweak their midfield again a little bit next week. Like it's, yeah, it's it's just, to me, it feels like they've got a lot of the bones there, but, you know, things like, Conceding goals on set pieces are pretty foundational things. Like when you've got experienced defenders, Morrison, Checker, even Rankin and Nash have played enough minutes at this level. Like, um, and I think yeah, it's it's one thing that they've got to tighten up. But I think they know that. Like it's pretty obvious stuff. I suppose that's the positive they can take out of it is they're pretty clear areas for improvement. Cleaning out your defending on set pieces is something that you know you can hammer home pretty quickly. I think it's going to be that connection between midfield and attack and really turning some of that dominance, not not to the level of Melbourne City are a lot cleaner, but it's a similar vein that they need to actually, when they have these periods of dominance, convert. So that's sort of something they've, they've struggled to do. Um, and they've not really looked threatening in terms of scoring from open play. So they need to actually get that right. I think more minutes for Kellen Knight will help in that regard. I think they'll get Emily Gilnick in after the international break. That's my vibe. Um, well, I mean, it's going to have to be after the international break now, right? Because <laughs> it is the international break. Um, but I think that will help, just getting a really established attacker in there. Yeah, I think the good thing for them, and there's probably a couple of other teams that fall into this bracket as well, is the longer season gives you a bit more time to, to be honest, get your shit together and work this out. For them, they'll benefit a lot from having more time on the track, I would imagine. Um, and we've talked before about the short pre-season. So it's, uh, in short... I don't think it's a full-blown alarm bells, but it's concerning. And I think that next game against Adelaide, I think it is, the next couple of games are real must-wins just to get things back on track and, and stabilised. Um, 
And yeah, the big concern obviously to come out of it was Lydia Williams um, getting clattered um, in the aftermath of the winner. Western United deserve a lot of credit for the way they fought out that game. I love how they look when they can get Chloe Legazzo in there. I think everyone walks taller when she's playing. Um, she missed round one for personal reasons, but getting her back in there as her first game since realistically early last season, and she's running hard. I I still think they can tweak things. I, I don't really like Hannah Keane out wide. I prefer her as a striker. I think she's a bit wasted out wide. I, I know the Tarantes combine well, but I think there's room to shuffle things to you maybe get Legazzo in midfield and or you play her as the second, if you're going to play her up, you know, up front, play her as a second one off, um, second striker off Hannah Keane. Because I think they look so much more dangerous when Keane is central and, and causing chaos. And let's be honest, the, the winning goal came off the back of Williams having to make that big save to deny Keane. Um, you've got a player there to, to pounce on the scraps. So, yeah, credit to them for the way they work through it. I still think they've got another gear to go to. I think they need some more excitement through their own midfield. But, yeah. I think victory are the ones out of these first couple of rounds with a bit more thinking to do. And hopefully nothing serious for Lydia Williams. She was down holding her arm. Jeff Hopkins was sort of like, I don't really know. I think it might be her back. So hopefully it comes out and is more just like a stinger or a knock rather than anything serious because obviously that has ramifications both from a victory perspective but also in terms of that Matilda's um, goalkeeping depth. Had a very uh, quintessential dub experience at the game. Um me and my friends were like chatting with this guy who's standing next to us on the fence. And then at one point he's like, oh yeah, my reference to his daughter and like gestured. And I was like, oh, does your daughter play? And he's like, yeah, she's the keeper. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> um, dad on the sideline. And I was like, oh, I'm glad you told us. Cause um, well, what did I say? I was like, oh, I'm glad because we haven't been talking shit. Cause it's, you know, you, at dub games, you never know who friends and family are around you. So always be polite, mm. always be nice, save the very spicy taste. To be fair, Delos had a great game. So there was no intention to talk to it anyway. But yeah, very, uh, and that was nice. His name's Paolo. Thanks, Paolo. I don't know if you listen to the pod, but nice to meet you. <laughs> pure dub, pure dub just there. As Harrow did mention, though, obviously, William's potential injury hoping it's nothing, could throw a spanner into the Tilly squad that was announced for the Olympic qualifiers coming up because we are heading into the international break. Um, on that Tilly squad, no real surprises, nothing really of note. It was predominantly the same squad that we saw from the World Cup. Does anyone have any quick notes about the Tilly squad, these Olympic qualifiers, what we should expect. I feel like the overall vibe is it should be pretty smooth sailing through these three games, but any yeah. quick takes? No, not really. I would like to see Amy Sayer, actually. So, yeah, me too. Me too, I'd like Sam. to see Amy Sayer give it, give it a run. Because, like, okay, so, like, Olympic qualifiers, yes, yes, they matter. Of course they matter. But let's think about our opposition, right? Iran, the Philippines, and Taiwan. It's not going to be the most competitive games, I don't think. I would like Philippines like, is the only one, right? That can yeah, that's, of course, support. it's going to be in front of a, a big crowd. You know, they moved the top to the stadium in Perth. So, you know, you want to also give the fans an opportunity to say thank you to the Matildas who performed at the World Cup and to see their heroes and all that sort of stuff. That's right. Yes, I think they'll do that. But hopefully, we see these games used by Tony Gustafsson as an opportunity to test the kids and the fringe players and to actually try and get some match minutes into those players who didn't really play very much during the World Cup proper. 
Um, I think there would probably be a lot of senior players who would love to have a bit of a break, you know, like it's going to be a lot of travel coming to Perth. Um, a lot of them have just come off the back of playing a couple of league games. They probably don't need to play these games either. You'd want to maintain and make sure in terms of their um, their bodies and, and maintaining their sort of their medical status. You know, you want to keep an eye on all those kinds of things as well. So I'd love to see a bunch of uh, of other players really be be given a serious shot um, against these teams because it's they're not going to be super competitive. And I'm also thinking back to the Asian Cup back in India where we fielded some pretty strong teams against some pretty small ones and we absolutely thrashed them. And then mm. we got to the pointy end and we were like, oh, shit, uh, turns out that we probably shouldn't have done that. Um, yeah. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just hoping that a bunch of folks in, in Perth turn out for all, all three games, um, and are also just like having a really good time and celebrating, not just the Matildas, but also the other three nations that are there, particularly Iran, Iran getting to, to this stage of the Olympic qualifiers is a really big deal. Um, I've written about Iran before, which we can maybe link through, um, in the, the thread, the, the comments underneath, um, this episode, but for them to get to this point, and to, to just be out on the field playing football, wearing hijabs after they were banned from it for such a long time, you know, that, that, that in itself is worth celebrating. So I hope people just go out and have a good time and that no one gets hurt. Oh, well, Spets is just over in the corner, Sam. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you on Amy Sayer. She's been hitting form for Kristenstad in Sweden. Um, I love that. If you ever look at their social media, their Instagram page is real, like, enough content. When she scored the other day, it was very wholesome. Um, she's tagged in it. It's like a shared, one of those shared posts. Um, I really like to see her play. I think she was desperately unlucky not to be in the World Cup squad and should have been, was clearly the 24th player and given the whole the Kai Simon thing, should have really been in the 23, to be honest. But I digress. I would like to see her get minutes. Um, I think Kara Cooney-Cross needs minutes because uh, she's not been playing at Arsenal. She had a couple of minutes off the bench at most. Um, that sucks. Um, I think it's a little bit of the, the Harry Sutter with the Socceroos situation, right? Like you just got to mm. just get him playing. Not that she's in trouble at her club, but like this is the opportunity for her to get some minutes. Yeah. I'd like to see players like Claire Wheeler, who has been playing. Like she had to come on and fill in at like left wing back the other day for Everton. Did really well. So well that they started her there overnight. So she's built a bit of form the last couple of weeks after a patchy, patchy start. I'd like to see a Courtney Nevin, who's been playing really well for Leicester at the start of the WSL season. I think I noticed the you know the the victory lap the show off the players at the World Cup, but my God, if we see the same sort of eleven to thirteen players rolled out again and again and again in three games, yeah, yeah. in Perth I might scream like I just don't need that in my life. Oh, these are the games that you use to, you know, we we don't need to tread too far back over the depth conversation, but to build minutes in your depth players to you know to. For squad morale, for players um, feeling valued, I think that's all important. And just for if, if a player goes down, to have the options there. So I'd like to see us say, uh, I'd like to see players like your Nevins, maybe I'm not sure where Charlie Grant is at. Um, I think they don't have really any option but to play Mackenzie Arnold in goal because Tegan Mike has not been playing for Liverpool. I think as opposed to the, it's a bit more difficult for goalkeepers who haven't been playing compared to mm. outfielders who are always kept sharp. Um but I'll be, I'll be interested to see if they rotate goalkeepers, for example, just to give Arnold a break. Um, but, yeah, I hope we, we see some rotation through that squad. I know Charlie Rule can't 
play. I don't think she's eligible to. I think they've just picked her as a train on, um, which is a, a, you know, a bit of a shame. But, yeah, uh, in short, I'd like to see some rotation. I'd like to see some players tested out. Obviously, you want to see some wins. And, yeah, hopefully they're just enjoying their football. Pressure off. And, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, yeah, it'll be the first time we've actually heard from Tony, I think, since the World Cup is over, which is interesting. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just looking forward to seeing the Tillys back in action, as you say, Sam. And I will also join the Wolf's Bets queue. I want everyone to have a good time. I want to see some good players out there. But I want to see depth tested and, uh, yeah, and see it thrive as well. I think yeah. we know you don't get anything out of beating Indonesia 18-0 if it's just your, your top brass doing it. You want to see yeah, some exactly. other players come on and score the goals and have the moments. And Yeah, it's exciting. And I think the good thing as well is when we come to the – as you assume, the pointy end of things around Feb, you should have players like Gilnick, Legazzo, McNamara, all those players that are in the A-League women now really get a chance to to make their own cases. So, yeah. Double thumbs up. Wins, goals, rotation, tillies. That's what we want to see. Um, Quick explainer, that is round two of three of the Olympic qualifiers. So obviously winning and doing well here will then get us through to the next phase where it's probably going to be a lot more pointy. There's likelihood of playing the likes of a China, a Japan, a South Korea. So that'll be in Feb and we'll obviously talk about that when we get there. Quick boot. Who would like to boot? Because we were all kind of on consensus when it came to what we should boot this week. But quick boot, please, Harrow. Yeah, I've wanted to boot this for two weeks now, so I'm going to boot it now. Um, and Sam and I were on the same page about this, which we all love when Sam and I are on the same page about things. Broadcast oh, yes. angles. Come what on, man. Uh, so Brisbane Royal returned to Ballymore. They have a record crowd, but you wouldn't fucking know about it if you're watching on the broadcast because they've set up the camera in, in, the, um, in the stand where the crowd is. So there's a great crowd. It's noisy. You're like, it must be a great vibe there. But if you were just watching or scanning through, I had the game on the background, you'd be like, I can't believe no one's there. The A-League women, what a shit pump. No one attends would be your vibe reading, like if you were looking at that. Same vibe the week before, home of the Matildas, um, where they didn't set up the scaffolding and they had the camera in the stands, where which were pretty full and you could just see the hill. For me, the Ballymore one, I, you know, I'm happy to take on feedback from the powers that be at Paramount and 10 as to why this was the case. But there is clearly a stand on the other side. <laughs> why not? set up there and I'm sure there's things around uh, sun and lighting and all that but it just doesn't look good yeah it doesn't look good when the crowd is in the same stand as the camera and it looks like it's empty no one wants to go to empty games and it it ruins it because you know Brisbane they won two games on the bounce and they've actually also had the two games where it's appeared like there's been no crowd there to watch it when there's actually been good crowds um yeah it just to me it just seems like something pretty straightforward to get right. I know there can be teething issues. So this is why it's only a minor boot at this stage, you know, working out how things will work the first couple of rounds. But it's, it's, something's got to be fixed. Like when the Roar are back at Ballymore, you've got to be able to see these crowds. These players deserve to have people see what the crowd is actually representative of, right? It's, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's just a bummer, right? Because like when you think about the the casual fans who are potentially going to 10 play because they've heard that there's games on, they've never been to one before, but they just wanted to watch it and check it out and see what it's like, because maybe they're interested in going in the future and they flick on a game like that and they see that there's no one there. That's a bit like, Oh, okay. It's, it's a bit deflating, 
and yeah, like there would absolutely be logistical issues in terms of um, where do you actually set up? Is the camera going to be looking into the sun? What about the fans? Are they going to have to be forced to sit in the sun as well? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's lots of considerations, but ultimately you're, you're like the whole point of broadcasting these games is to look good to people on television. That's the whole point, right? And so if a big chunk of that is missing because of particular decisions that have been made and the ultimate effect is that people from home who are watching assume that it's probably not a very good event to go to because there's hardly anyone there. You see a scattering of people on a hill. It, it defeats the purpose of broadcasting it, right? Like, so, yeah, like a credit to them. I think the broadcasting has been better this season so far. We haven't had any, you know trombone guy we haven't had any uh serious malfunctions in terms of broadcasting but yeah it's just these little things you know these little things because all the little things eventually add up to big things um so i'd, I'd love to see them trying to to um make some more strategic decisions i suppose going forward whether that's the position of the camera or the position of the crowd because ultimately we need to make this thing look good and we need to make it sound good because it's the people who are watching back home who are ultimately like the next crop of fans who you want to be capturing. And if, you know, that little decision is going to affect their desire to come along, then that's a problem that needs addressing. Big boot. Also, a little bit of respect for Tuba Man. Who the fuck is Trombone Man? It's Tuba Man. <laughs> Get your dub folklore correct, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Yeah. Can someone explain who this man is just oh, the, the real quick version is there was once a game i believe it was melbourne victory adelaide united and all of a sudden the vision cuts to a man in a room there's a large tuba behind him he has headphones on he's very you know concentrated and focused looking at his laptop screen and instead of watching the dub we're watching this man work and he was on the screen for it felt like an eternity um, we still don't know like who he is, what he was doing, but he lives in the heart of every dub fan. Um, Superman. <laughs> Farewell, sweet prince. I hope you're doing well wherever you are. Um, anyway, any quick how goods? Because we need to wrap this thing up. My internet just... connection. <gasps> yeah, oh it's God, very good. We haven't complained about it once. Did you fix it? Uh it was a group effort. I think it was we. Thank you, we, Melon. We um. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, actually, he did kind of help because he loves to like kind of knock stuff about. Maybe he actually broke it in the first place. To be honest, um, but we just—I don't know. Tom and I just put like you know turned it off and back on again and put things in the correct holes, and it seemed to be—it seems to be working fine. So maybe it was a glitch. I don't know. I don't want to jinx it, but it's just working. It was great. How bloody good, honestly. <laughs> Sam, how good? Uh, my how good is uh, grand finals are now going to be played in the city of the team that finishes at the top of the grand final in Melbourne. Right. Yes, isn't that great? Isn't that what a novelty? Oh my god, incredible! This new thing they've no. So anyone uh, who's been paying attention will know that the APL um, backtracked on their decision to sell the grand final hosting rights to Sydney, which is fantastic. We all can remember the trauma that we collectively suffered um, after fans uh, across Australia really were outraged at the decision, which ultimately led to the. Uh, 
the fan protests, the boycotts and the pitch invasion down in Melbourne, which spun off in a whole other series of, of issues. Um, so, yeah, they've reversed that and instead they've introduced something called Unite Round, uh, which is pretty forgettable, but it's effectively going to be our version of Magic Round. And um, that means that all of the games in a round, both from the men's and the women's, which is unique in Australian sport, there's no other code that does this for men and women, all the games in those uh, rounds are going to be played in the same city on the same weekend, which is really cool. I think that I love the idea. I think as in terms of like ticking the boxes of creating some kind of destination kind of event for football, for fans to be able to plan for and to come to, and there's lots of stuff around it. I love the concept. Obviously, it's hard to judge because we haven't been there and seen it yet. It's going to be happening in mid-January. Um, apparently, there's going to be a bunch of football activities and things around it as well for people to get involved with, which is cool. Uh, yeah, so it just it sounds it sounds great. I think it, that's probably the thing that the APL should have gone with in the first place instead of this whole grand final debacle. Um, but it's good to know that uh, our, the integrity of our competition is not as compromised as what it was. It does mean that there are some uh, dub teams who miss uh, out on hosting a home game in this season, which is a bit of a shame. Um, but hopefully that's just teething issues based on how late this decision was made um, and they're going to be able to, to um, fix all of that going forward. So how good? Enormous. How good. how good. Also, I was right about Magic Round, so how good for me specifically. Um, really quick, how good I assume... You? I love being right. I know what you mean now, Harrow. Being right's awesome. Um, just really quickly, because I'm sure we will talk about her again, but a how good but also how sad I'm crying inside. Christine Sinclair has announced her international retirement. A GOAT, a legend, the all-time leading goal scorer in international football. What a woman. What a career. I hope we get to talk about her a little bit more because she does have two, like, farewell games coming up. So, um, but couldn't not acknowledge that she had announced the retirement. Go read her little letter to her 16-year-old self on Instagram. You will probably cry. Um, but, yeah, what a woman. How lucky we were to watch her for as long as we got to. Um, Christine Sinclair. And just quickly, yeah. on Christine Sinclair, how, like... Credit to the women's soccer community for coming out, particularly online and uh, and and celebrating her and posting a whole bunch of things. But how funny! Anyone who follows the U.S. women's national team oh, so uh, on social media, particularly on Twitter, screenshotting because Christine Sinclair has blocked them. So they basically were like, "I hope she sees this because she's blocked us." But we want to be able to celebrate someone who's been part of U.S. soccer for U.S. the soccer in the U.S. in terms of the NWSL for such a long time with Fallen Thorns. Um, very sassy. Didn't know Christine Sinclair had that in her. That makes me love her even more. She's just the people's champion. So good. So good. <laughs> we love it. Christine Sinclair, how good. Um, how good. That's us done for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, we're over on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. As we spoke about, we will have some Tilly's episodes coming up with the Olympic qualifiers heading your way. As always, though, you can find us over on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review, subscribe if you like what we're doing. If you want to have a chat to us, we're at the Far Post Pod on all social media. Please keep sending through your questions on a Sunday night. We've really enjoyed getting them in and hopefully we're answering as many of them as we can. But until next time, Yes.